broadcasting from across the North American continent of the Terran Empire, bringing you our unpopular Star Trek opinions since 2020. This is Code 47. And we are back again, ladies and germs. This is the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network i am your host your humble servant trek lord of west michigan captain charles c carden of the uss grand petoskey a chapter of the star trek international fan club based here in exciting grand rapids michigan and with me i would say as always but actually this is going to be for the last time for a little bit because i know he's he is he's rubbing the tears from his eyes which i totally understand i mean working with me is it's it's pretty fantastic experience i get that <laughs> but I have my my cohort Peter Stein, who is completing his first leg of uh, being the shared co-host of our program. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah. So yeah, Peter will be uh, gracefully uh, stepping out uh, for about a month, uh, while my partner Katie Q steps in uh, as she is going as she is my TNG designatee as we're going to be taking on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation season two, a season of Varying quality. Uh, but speaking of varying quality, uh, we will actually be wrapping up uh, talking about the second season of Star Trek, uh, the original series within this episode. So, oh, yeah. but uh, as always, without further ado, we always like to kick off and this is it's kind of this kind of a double clicker here. So uh, we always try to click off, you know, stealing a, a bit from SFU Prime, uh, where we have a comic book cover that matches the number of our episode. I did the same. Uh, finding an old VHS cover of the original series, and this is weirdly enough in season three uh, of uh, TOS. But this is the episode. Episode sixty-two was "Is There in Truth No Beauty?" There's a lot going on there, uh, but <laughs> I liked the picture of Kirk with his hands out. Did and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if someone doctored this image. It looks like he's got his hand stuck out. Kind of like in a fisheye lens. Did somebody slap something in his hand? What what is that supposed to be? That's the um, the visor because that's oh that's right yeah. So this was the uh, the, the Medusan, this is the character uh, or the the alien race, the so hideous that you couldn't look at him with your naked eyes or it would blind you. And then they ended up finding their way back into continuity with something recently. They were I mean they were a character on lower decks or something, and they were There's in a Medusan and Prodigy. There's a Medusan and Prodigy. Oh, my goodness. And we're going to talk about that as well. Shame on me. But, yeah, any Medusan has to be in some kind of an apparatus or a doodad. And the one in Prodigy is in a, like, floating, like, Dr. Ball spacesuit, like, for, you know, the, yes. the medical torture droid from Star Wars. Dr. Ball, which was, was dubbed on Robot Chicken, if you remember. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, that uh, originally aired on the 18th of October back in 19. 19- 68 uh final final the, the third final and somewhat much maligned uh end of tos <laughs> yes oh my goodness so um anyway moving on uh we have uh since our last because we, we recorded we were i think we recorded on a thursday or we recorded too soon for both of us to have watched so we actually have three new segments uh to talk yeah. about <clears throat> uh, in this in this episode, so we have two segments of discovery, and then we have the return, the wonderful return of Prodigy, which we just uh, got 
uh, this past week. Prodigy is going to be uh, back on the airwaves in February. Uh, Katie and I will be continuing to talk about that in our next episode. Um, but the Discovery is on there on a little vacation. Uh, they had a mid-season finale, which again was kind of sprung on us uh, as a surprise. But you know, we're rolling with it. So, uh, Peter, without further ado, talk to me about uh, Season 4, Episode 6 of Star Trek Discovery. All right. Episode six titled Stormy Weather. So on their quest to seek answers about the DMA, the Discovery ventures into a subspace rift created by said DMA. In the meantime, during <laughs> this whole situation, Book faces a strange visitor from his past. Righty root. Yeah. So we had a definite A story, B story happening. Um, yeah. I, is it thoughts about this? Um. I thought it was interesting having um, Book's dad show up. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was it, they didn't play it the same way that they normally do when this yeah. sort of stuff happens because um, yeah. this was definitely more of the oh no he's actually here in some way right um, rather than just a hallucination like normally it's just like your subconscious talking to you right when they do this but this is the way that they do it it's very clear that this is a different entity. Right. Uh, than just book subconscious. So I thought that was interesting, a little bit of uh, inner conflict being brought out and then resolved. So Gotcha. No, I agree. So the I, uh, was interesting. Yeah, I, I think so too. The A story, I mean, really the A story and the B story, though you said, you know, there were some some notable tweaks with how this was different, obviously, with those from Kwai Jan and, 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 and Book's race. Um, the A story had a lot of kind of sameness to it. Um, and I, you know, as we say in our intro here, uh, spreading our unpopular opinions, I'm not super fond of Adira and Gray. I found them both super off-putting and annoying in this episode. Oddly, I I've been finding them kind of irritating. I, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, and maybe this is um, the fact that they're so young and they're so contemporary and I'm... I'm old and not contemporary, though I do appreciate the show. Um, but it, and it has nothing to do with um, the transgendered natures of the characters at all. Uh, I just find them to be really not very impressive actors. They're just not really doing it for me. I, I think some of it has to do with just how the characters are written. Mm-hmm. And I think for you and I, at least, some of it may just simply be that the way that they speak mm-hmm. is just... Very Gen Z. Pudding. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, exactly. Um, because it's not, um, at least for me, growing growing up with Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, um, right. I'm used to a, sim- a, a little bit more um, higher level of dialogue in the sense that like, you'll use larger words, you'll use more complex sentence structure. Right, right. And that sort of thing. And they don't really do that. And I understand it's like, we're trying to show they're young but even Wesley Crusher did that. And I, that was Wesley ex- gets all sorts of bad rap. But Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly where my thoughts went with this, too. I was thinking about Wesley, you know, because Wesley, even though he he gets the worst rap, people really blast on him. Um, he still talked normal, and he still behaved in a way that just didn't quite seem so... I don't know. I mean, I was a teenager at the time. TNG was was new when I was a teenager. I watched it when I was in high school. So I, I you know, in, in some ways I really clicked with him. But it's funny because when I started watching the show as a regular viewer, uh, he had already departed after early in season four. Because uh, it wasn't really until seasons uh, 
five, six, and seven that I was a watch it every week and tape it and study it and stuff. And then I went back over time and taped the older episodes because they were uh, on in syndication and this and that. So yeah. yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I get the characters. I get why they do what they do. And, um, you know, a, as a part of it a, is they're also, uh, they're taking the two of them in tandem to replace Tilly. Right. What I read as the, what they're doing, which and, is, as we've discussed, I was, I was, I had had my fill of Tilly without a doubt. And, and I think that's part of it is they're taking that writing style and putting it on the characters. Cause like Adira didn't behave like this in the previous season. Right. Um, she was a little bit more, uh, I don't remember the right term, but little bit more reserved i think right exactly um, yeah she was well she was you know being introduced and she was yeah a little bit more kind of fine and i mean and that character went through quite a transition as well um yeah. being that she was you know the mixed up trill and and figuring out why she was seeing gray and but yeah i just the, the two characters are just not yeah. doing a bunch for me i liked you know uh you know the discovery crew you know having this you know like oh man i want to get going let's let's do this thing and yeah. let's do that thing um, I you know, it's funny how the, the D this bit in the DMA, it reminded me a lot of, um, an episode that we talked about a little bit ago for TOS, the, the amoeba, the, yeah. who the big amoeba. Well, and it, it, really also reminded me, I started um, watching ahead, uh, TNG episodes and, uh, the, uh, where silence has lease or, uh, early in mm. season two was they get Nagilum. stuck in the rift with Nagilum. And so th- this kind of, I was kind of like, Oh boy, space anomaly and this and that. So, uh, anyway, you know, uh, in summary, not the greatest segment with the a story. I found it kind of annoying, but, uh, I enjoy book as a character. And as we're going to talk about in the mid season finale, uh, going to become quite a pivotal character. So moving on, uh, to see uh, episode seven, uh, but to connect Peter, please. All right. Tensions rise as representatives from across the galaxy gather to confront the threat of the DMA. And on the ship, Zora's new sentience raises difficult questions. Indeed. Yeah, we had a lot going on on this, including, you know, e- you know, kind of Easter egg haven uh, with the, the big intergalactic powwow at... Uh, I think Federation slash Starfleet headquarters. I know that, you know, it's been not really quite identified, but this kind of great multi-tier there in the big, you know, uh, circle of trust. That's like, you know, three or four levels deep. Uh, That's basically the assembly of the Federation. And I was thinking about the stats when we started in season three and, you know, discovery arrived here in the 32nd century, the, um, Federation itself was really fractured. It had fallen from, you know, its peak of, 150 some odd member worlds back in the TNG time to about 30 or 35. And they're up to about 60 or 65. I think it's said yeah, uh, in this. And this is, you know, this is after a year's time of, you know, discovery bopping around and helping reconnect people and giving, you know, giving out dilithium and this and that. So, you know, discovery kind of single-handedly uh, saving everything. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really cool to see this big assemblage. Um, but yeah, the big Easter egg was, you know, when they're when they're performing the vote uh, as far as what to do uh, about the DMA because our um, mysterious uh, stranger whose name is now escaping me. What's the what's the, what's the name of the guy who's the big the big arrogant science jerk? Oh, dang it! Uh, let me quickly check. I I know can't Skimmed. remember his name either. It was funny as as I was watching. Um, I was like, it's Kovic, but it's not because that's the guy with the glasses. 
when uh, it jumped out at me, I'm like, oh, this guy looks really familiar. He was, there is a, a big correlation, and I bet you could Google it and find a nice solid list. The old um, Fox uh, show 24, which I absolutely love with Kiefer oh, Sutherland, yeah. which was on the early 2000s. He was, uh, how many how many Star Wars or Star Trek to 24 crossover actors there are? This guy was one who was at the beginning of season four. He was in it for like a half an episode and he was with Jack and then he got shot and killed. So, but I'm like, but that guy really jumps out at me. Uh, as he jumped, it was so dumb because in that episode, he jumped out from behind a car and like got shot right in the sternum and died. So, <laughs> really memorable role. Um, is it Tarka? Tarka. Yeah. Tarka is his name. Um, so yeah, he's like, well, I find it, you know, and he's a, you know, this mysterious character and the way he ultimately sways book at the end of it is I'm from another universe and blah, blah, blah. We're trying to get rid of this thing. And you're just not getting the vibe still that he's really on the level. But, uh, anyway, as, don't think I often through his teeth. I, yeah, exactly. As I often do, I've kind of gotten off the path. The big Easter egg that I loved, and it's been subsequently analyzed on Twitter, and I, I, I think I've done some retweets myself, uh, is that you had the big display of when they're doing the vote of member world logo. So you've got this and that. And I think one they snuck in was like the Zindi from Enterprise, which I thought was awesome. And uh, I was looking at him. I just haven't done a screen, yeah. screen grab analysis of it. You know, the and the the president does the president who herself is a Bajoran Cardassian human uh, 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 heritage, uh, which is just crazy. Um, but they mentioned that well, we have representatives from all four quadrants here. So, do we have the Dominion in there? Or is there a Vorta there by chance? I'm guessing uh, that we have the Dominion at least present. I don't think you know, they're part of the Federation, but I would imagine they're there. Right. But, you know, and again, I'd have to, this was not an, an episode I watched a, a second time, but, you know, was this just a gathering of the Federation? Or was this a gathering of, of you know, spacefaring worlds? It seems like it was probably uh, a bit spacefaring worlds. Yeah. It's part a bit more of the latter. And Earth wasn't part of the Federation. Very true. Yeah. The Earth Defense Force, which she jumps in and she says, yeah, since the, the president or the, uh, the senior military officer, General such and such, again, yeah. you know, not, not always the best with names on the first pass, but, um, she says, yeah, you know, our organization has grown. A Titanist member of our organization now. And we're like, well, we'd love to have you back in the Federation. And she's like, well, you know, I guess we'll just kind of see what we'll happens. So, One yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we're, fun as don't just a, a side was right. um, in, the, in the gallery, uh, we saw a Cardassian. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is the second time we've seen a Cardassian in Discovery. The first time was when they first got to the 32nd century. Right. Um, and I just have to say this. I'm happy that they didn't change the design because <laughs> you know I haven't taken a close look, so they, that that's... They tweaked it a little bit, but it's not one of those like it's really really noticeable, right? Like I'm the, a big like the... fan of like minor tweaks, right? And you know it's like the Ferengi. Okay, a thousand years have passed, and you know so this one their ears are different or whatever it is, and and you can imagine uh, I think the Ferengi, Ferengi just his mother's just a Zach Dorn or something. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, you know they caught they caught a side glance of a Ferengi, and you definitely thought, well, this one definitely looks like it could be the Grand Nagus because kind of dressed dressed up pretty pretty fancy pants. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed all that. Um, this the the B story with Zora and her emerging sentience and kind of what to do with it. Uh, really has, you know, obviously smacks of um, of the, you know, of Data's journey in season two yeah. of TNG with the measure of a man kind of deciding his rights, which is an episode worked that very hard not to mention that. Right, exactly. But it's, you know, it's it's a case study in, in kind of what TNG and Star Trek in general does best is, you know, taking social issues and turning them all over. And of course, AI, you know, and again, that episode was 
over 30 years ago, uh, the, mm-hmm. the TNG episode and this one. Currently, you know, AI continues to grow and, you know, sentience yeah. is ever closer, you know, as something that we may really have to deal with in real life. So, um, so th- this was interesting. Yeah. I thought that the way that they handled this one was interesting, like the way they did it mm-hmm. um, and how they presented the information. Um, right. Immediately starting with a kill switch was an interesting choice. Right. Um, but I think that their ultimate solution, at least for me, felt like a cop out. Right. Um, and I know it sounds weird, but um, the reason for that is like the ultimate solution was, well, Zora's a new life form. Right. So she, so the rules don't apply to her. Right. It's like, Data was also life form, but also mm-hmm. recognized as an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of skipping over one definition to be like, oh, well, it's this one. You're right. But it's mm. also this. You still have to address that. Mm. So, I mean, they did it, but they didn't. And so I, I don't know if that's just a loophole that they're leaving for it to be a problem later, or they just were like, we solved it. Bye. Yeah, right. Never. Oh, there's never a solution. But, uh, um, yeah, this this teed us up for the second half of the season because in the end, uh, Tarka does uh, convince um, mm-hmm. Book to uh, run off with him to the center of the galaxy with his Destructo device, which uh, they had a nice tie-in uh, back to uh, Star Trek Insurrection with the... Uh, the uh, Sona. Ah, yes, the th- and the... Uh, Baku. The devi- oh. I just know the the device. I just I had it on the tip of my tongue and I was looking at it. Isolated Yeah, isolated weapons. Banned by the Kidmer Accords for obvious reasons because you saw in that movie they're super destructive and uh, they yeah, wound they subspace, which subspace. is... Yeah, right, which was even something that was addressed in a uh, late series episode of TNG, uh, which which was, you know, uh, you know, warp drive is cutting holes in subspace and breaking it down. And uh, the reason Voyager had those multi... multi uh, I was going to say geographical, multi, uh, multi uh, kind of variable geometry uh, in the cells was to prevent that issue. Um, but now we're back to it again. So it's a different kind. So, but anyway, the, um, the kind of the outro trailer uh, made it look like, you know, and of course, again, in anything, they take all the best bits, but they look like it's going to be a real rip roar and, you know, we got to go stop them and this thing and that thing and blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, it's funny, Burnham, you know, has really kind of evolved as a character. Uh, she's come to the point that instead of being, you know, the cowboy that she was in seasons one and two and even in season three, um, that now Book has kind of taken her role as the, you know, I'm going to run off and do the thing off book, as it were. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's interesting. It's really, I, I think it's, uh, you know, a fair interest in, in kind of growth uh, in the character. I think, but we will find out. Uh, Discovery does return on February 10. Uh, so we will get the final, I'm assuming, six or seven episodes. I'd have to double check to see how many there are left. So, um, anyway, final thoughts on these two episodes? Yeah, they're, they're decent. Yeah. The second one is definitely better than the first one. <laughs> I totally agree. But anyway, real briefly, uh, because we got we to gotta keep, keep the train rolling, uh, Prodigy returned with its uh, uh, episode six. Of I'm assuming ten, uh, and again I should always you know probably do my homework and actually look ahead. <laughs> but uh, this was the episode, and I just absolutely love this segment. Kobayashi, uh, 
Uh, I'll read the description here. I know this is real tough, real, real tough for me to steal your job. Sorry. Um, (laughs) as Gwen, who everybody hates, and I know that when Katie comes on next week, she's already kind of, you know, chomping at the bit to tear this character apart because she can't stand him. Uh, as Gwen struggles. Oh, no, that's not Gwen. Doll's the character that, that, that you love to hate. Gwen struggles to find her role aboard the USS Protostar. Doll tests his leadership skills in the newly discovered holodeck in a program I will simply call Kobayashi Easter Egg. Because <laughs> they really knocked it out. I thought uh, I thought that that, that part of the episode was great. I really did love it. So, yeah, he, he quote unquote, discovers he and um, uh, Pog, Jacob, J- J- Jacob Pog do quote unquote, stumble upon the holodeck. Uh, they, you know, initiate the Kobayashi Maru, Maru program after doing some research and dump some uh, on the bridge of the Enterprise D from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and then they get this fun graph, and it's funny, even in the Memory Alpha article, they have this graph of them like, you know, pick your crew, and you're looking at the different uh, com badges and stuff and say, you know, pick who you want to pick. And so they end, oh my God, they end up with a great crew. Um yes. They end up with uh, TOS era Uhura. They end up with Odo. They have uh, Beverly Crusher at TNG era, uh, which I believe Gates was the only actor who recorded any new dialogue. Yes. Um, because obviously they, and they get Spock and they get Scotty, uh, you know, both of which uh, uh, we get uh, Spock, uh, TOS Spock, and then movie era uh, Scotty. Both both actors have obviously passed. So all their dialogue was looped. I didn't hear anything that sounded like an imitation. One thing that I did did annoy the shit out of me because uh, Spock was a character I think that got the most uh, kind of airplay is that uh, the looping of his dialogue all the majority of it was obviously from TOS uh, because it's the most material to pull from. And they would just pull relevant bits of dialogue that fit what they wanted him to say. But one of the last lines he spoke was, was a very elderly Leonard Nimoy and it was really like 2009. So it was like, and you know, but he, he just said live long and prosper. I feel like they could have, you know, it's kind of two sided. Maybe they did it because it was the the last, they had him say the whole bit of um, you remind me of another captain that I used to know. No, 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 no. That was uh, I know the bit you're talking about. That was actually from from Unification. Was it? Yeah. Okay. No, it his last the, the last thing you heard Spock say was simply "live long and prosper," and it was the 09 dub uh, uh, that his last on screen appearance in Star Trek anyway was in Into Darkness, which was in yeah. 2013. So I, I know this is something that wouldn't bother anybody but me, but um, it did bother me a little bit because they didn't scrub the audio quite right. Like they could have, and they so could have cleaned it up a bit. Yeah. Different right. eras. Right. In your ears. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In, in your ear holes. There's no doubt about it, but um, it was, it was wonderful to see all those characters. I always love to see, um, you know, I liked, I liked that they picked movie era Scotty, give the monster maroon some love. Oh, um, yeah, I, I dug it. Like so Grumpy Odo, that was cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really bugs me just because I'm not the world's biggest uh, TOS fan that, that TOS gets all the press and that a lot of the other series just kind of get put on the back burner. You know what I mean? So yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't get a lot of, session for the past like 10 15 years yeah right since the, since the reboots got announced like right everyone's only been focusing on tos and don't right. get me wrong tos is great but it, there's yeah, right. so but, much more 
I, I think that there are so much that are greater. You know, I mean, the, and again, you know, we all have our personal kind of perspective based on what we, how we were introduced to Star Trek. And for me, it's always the the TNG DS9 Voyager triad was, you know, my growing up with the series. So, um, but what I did like about this um, is that this gave us a great big old uh, Voyager Easter egg at the end. Um, because as they're, you know, as the crew plus the Janeway hologram are starting to kind of decode the mystery of why they found the ship in the first place at the ass end of the Delta Quadrant, and it's a brand new, totally functional ship, uh, is that as they're breaking the logs down, they find a outgoing log from Protostar's real captain, Captain Chicote, in another new type of uniform, as a matter of fact. So, oh my God, it, Peter, we're gonna have we're gonna have to get ourselves like another the Star cosplay Trek online uniform. Ah, making that canon, huh? But yeah, we, we find out in the last glimpse that, uh, and, and again, we, we knew that Robert Beltran was going to be returning. Uh, he's also going to be with um, actor David David, I think, from Hamilton and Blackish, if you know the actor I'm thinking of, uh, and actress uh, Jamila Jamil, who was on The Good Place, uh, are going to be two other um, members of the protostar crew that are obviously displaced somewhere um so i would imagine that means they have to turn around or something or kind of decode the mystery of what the heck happened to chakotay and his crew um but i'm fired up i uh you know of the voyager characters i always kind of feel like chakotay was my favorite um because i tend i tend to gravitate towards first officer characters and Riker is my guy and so but i I always really like chakotay um I have a Chakotay cosplay. I actually because I have the I have the jumpsuit as many people do, but I actually did commission one of my um, my badge and board guy to make me Chakotay's pin. Uh, so I do have that, and I've done. I have a picture. I think I posted in the past when I was in college. I had a friend who had a family member who was a seamstress. My friend had had kind of a Catherine Janeway vibe, so she and I did Halloween one year as Janeway and Chakotay, and she took a she took a you know a mascara pen or whatever it is and drew the tattoo on my face perfectly if i haven't shared the pictures i I may go ahead and do that on on twitter when we drop this episode but uh that was fun that was my first real real star trek cosplay experience that was back in 1995 when the show was new um just starting just starting season two of uh a voyager so um i i love this episode you know it's funny this um the summary started talking about what gwen was doing I don't even remember. All I remember is how great the holodeck thing was um, and how uh, how close Dog comes to actually beating the Kobayashi Maru, hey, but still fails. the warp core. <laughs> I know. Gotcha. More isolated, more isolated equipment, which is not really a solution because you strand the ship and yeah. damage the ship. But then, yeah, in the end but of it, he's still, still hilarious. He still blasts out a torpedo and <laughs> blows up the Enterprise. Yeah. So, I just thought it whoops. was great, though. It's just like... Mm-hmm. Overload the warp core. I'm sitting there going, "Okay, what you doing? Eject the warp core." Okay, okay. Right. This is just, interesting. Just like an insurrection, you know what I mean. So yeah. this is coming back. So given given some insurrection love. So I'm excited about this. Like I said, we probably have another four. We have another four episodes before we get back into discovery. So I'm excited. And again, I love um, I love that this show has the vibe to get the young people um, interested in Star Trek. So I am totally fired up about that. So, closing the book on the new stuff, out with the new, in with the old. Peter, it's your last segment for a while. Sing me the song. All right. It's been a long road. From there to here. All right. Okay. (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. We are wrapping up season two of Star Trek. 
the original series with another six episodes, um, which to me, to my regard, I feel like these are probably six of the better episodes of the season because we did have we did have some not great ones. Um, but I tell you, we're not pulling any punches with the first one. So, Peter, go ahead. Oh, yeah. One of my personal favorites. <clears throat> Episode 21. I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Patterns of Force, directed by Vincent McEvity, written by John Meredith Lucas, aired on February 16th, 1968. The crew of the Enterprise visits a planet dominated by a Nazi culture and at war with its planetary neighbor. The Enterprise is visiting the planet of Ekos that is surrounded by Xeon inhabitants. Ecosians are violent and Xeons are peaceful. The Enterprise wants to contact Professor John from Earth who came here to research supposedly without interaction. But the planet turned into a Nazi-type colony hating the Xeons. Right. John has apparently become der Fuhrer of Ekos and leads a plot to eliminate the Xeons. Spock is not good. I said, it's not good. No. <laughs> Spock and Kirk beam down and try to contact John, but run into trouble. And, um, well, they get put in jail. The scheme to run out of the jail, they they get out of jail with a Xeon and make another scheme to meet John, but realize that John is drugged and uh, Malakon is controlling the entire process. Dr. McCoy is beamed down in a closet and gives a stimulant that finally awakens John, who then explains to Kirk what went wrong with his observation, and then he gives a speech to the people, restores peace to Ekos, and Malakon is put in jail. You're right. Oh, my God. Boy, I got to tell you, this is a risky, risky, risky subject matter, and this was only not quite 25 years after the end of World War II um, to make a story like this. Holy shit! This is... um, Yeah, I agree with you. This is absolutely... I think one of the best episodes of the series, it really does what Star Trek uh, does best, which is um, use that sci-fi lens to look at, you know, contemporary issues um, in society in general. But, oh, my God. Um, first of all, crazy costuming, because you got you, you got a, a lot of these um, Nazi uniforms going back and forth. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Hollywood was j- making a whole lot of World War II movies at the time, so I'm sure they just borrowed a whole yeah, set from they just They just John rolled Wayne in a... Or something. Big old rack of uh, yeah, this week's you know World War II establishment uh, movie, but this episode I think had one of the best, and I and I've heard it referred to um, in other writings of interactions between um, uh, McCoy and, and Spock. Uh, and Spock is trying to gently you know break the the bars, and they're doing some back and forth, and uh, McCoy is just saying, "Well, thank you for saving my life." Well, you know, and then Spock very coolly says, "Well, you know, you're the CMO and whatever," and and he's like, "I'm trying to thank you," and oh yeah, I know you humans need to do this thing and that thing, and he says, "Look, Spock," he says, he says, "You wouldn't know what to do with a warm, genuine emotion if one crossed your path. The real thing that you're you're more afraid uh, to live than to die because every day you live is another chance that you're going to screw up and let your human side peek out." And then Spock just turns back and he has this long, distant look in his eyes. He just kind of absorbs what McCoy says. And you know that it's really, it, that's really where it's at for him. Um, and then he turns back and says, my favorite Spock delivery says, really, doctor? In response, and, and McCoy just goes, 
I know. I'm worried about Jim too. And it was just like, oh, it was just it was there was there was a moment between the two characters, probably my favorite, besides McCoy's line in Star Trek Three, that green blooded son of a bitch. It's his revenge for all those arguments he lost. My my favorite <laughs> Kirk uh, McCoy and Spock moment is in four. Yeah, you have to die to discuss your meetings on death. <laughs> Excuse me, Doctor. I'm receiving a number of distress calls. I, I don't doubt it. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Oh my gosh! Oh, good stuff. So I loved it. So anyway, any any other thoughts before we move on? Um, other than it's a great episode, and it just it handles the source, it handles its uh, setting and everything just very very well. Right. Um, exactly correct. Episode. Um, so, oh, I'm excited about this next one for one reason only, and it's not because I like the story, because I really don't. Uh, episode 22 of the season is by any other name, directed by Mark Daniels, a story by Jerome Bixby, teleplay by the fantastic DC Fontana, and Jerome Bixby. The thing I like about it, it aired on my birthday eight years before I was born. Uh, February 23, 1968. Uh, beings from the Andromeda Galaxy steal the Enterprise, technologically modify it, and attempt to return to their home. Uh, our gang and a few other crew members beam down uh, to find a few people who ask Kirk to uh, surrender the ship by paralyzing. Then this was the famous turning uh, crew members into a dodecahedron, and they crush the one that's the pretty girl, ouch, who later goes on to be the... Mo- Here, here's, a, here's a little nugget for you. Later goes on to star in the sitcom Charles in Charge in the first iteration she was the mom. Weird little fact I remember. Uh, these people are the inhabitants of the Kelvin planet in the Andromeda galaxy. They need to travel 300. Uh, they need to have it, you know, endure a journey of 300 years in order to get home, which they, again, they modify up the Enterprise so they can do that. Uh, and the head guy is Rojan. He controls the Enterprise along with the people and mobilizes the entire crew and turns them into the little crusty dodecahedrons. Um so, you know, once they're aboard the Enterprise and on this journey, uh, it becomes, you know, a, a game of cat and mouse, as Kirk always does, to, you know, outsmart uh, the, the villains, which is Scotty and Scotty gets into the mix uh, and tries to drink one of the other Kelvins under the table, giving us the famous line, what is, this, the, what, what is this, referring to a bottle of liquor? And Scotty says, it is, it is green, which uh, it, he gets repeated to him in the, the TNG episode, uh, Relics, where, we, where Scotty... Uh, Scotty is on the Enterprise D and meets the crew. Um, so at any rate, um, Kirk and Spock do figure out that because the Kelvins have taken on human bodies, they have the same cleavages of uh, emotions. And so they uh, go forward and exploit that. Naturally, Kirk uh, seduces the pretty blonde. Uh, and then, of course, there's a drinking under the table. And I think Spock uh, engages one of the other ones in kind of you know nervous energy and stuff. And he man- they manage to drive uh, kind of drive a wedge between them. Uh, and in the end, uh, Kirk talks Rojan into settling uh, his people back on the planet where they first met them. So, bleh. <laughs> it's just yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just okay. thought it was. I, I thought it, I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. It's wedged between two of the best episodes of the series, in my opinion. So that that kind of drives me nuts. But whatever, you know. I mean, a lot of. A lot of all series is, you know, having filler episodes and ones that just don't really hit the mark. So that's yeah. that's what I guess this was. Yeah, it's not a bad episode, but it's not, mm-hmm. it not it's not a great one. So right. So, uh, but moving on, I'll let you read this. But I will uh, point out that this is uh, April, and I have a list of um, 
movies and or TV shows that we watch every 4th of July. And this is on that list. So every, you know, every very beginning of July, we, we watch, you know, Independence Day and we watch uh, yeah. a handful of, I'm forgetting what else is on the list. I have it in my phone because I would forget, but Independence Day. But then we watch this one because this is the good old US of A of episodes. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Episode 23, The Omega Glory. Directed once again by Vincent McEvity. Written by none other than Gene Roddenberry himself. That must be why it's so good. (laughs) Maybe. Aired on March 1st, 1968. So, Captain Kirk must battle a deadly virus and a treacherous fellow starship captain to stop a meaningless intertribal war. The Enterprise responds to a signal received from the USS Exeter, which is orbiting a planet but not responding to any communications hails. Upon boarding the ship, our gang finds that the crew has disappeared and left behind clothes and a mysterious salt rich in potassium and carbon. Gee, I wonder what that could be. They're running around naked and playing with salt. Yep. Bones realizes that this can only happen if the body loses all of its water. Hmm. Ugly oh, no. The water without water become... Salt. Ooh, we just solved right. that a few ep- two episodes. We just ago. we just we just solved that future Actually, TNG the mystery. Episode, so there you go. Yeah, yeah right. Um, Spock plays the last log from the Exeter and finds a message that says everyone is affected by a virus and should not go back to their ship, but beam down to the planet's surface. Upon landing, they find the Exeter's captain, but he is fighting a war with the inhabitants on the side of the Yangs. Whoops! <laughs> not very prime directory of him directorially. Yeah. Uh, no, he's fighting with the comms. He's fighting against the Yangs. This is yes. Uh, Damn it. Okay. Anyway, the landing party is eventually imprisoned, and Bones is instructed to find the cure of the disease so that they can go back to the planet's surface, or technically back to the ship, because um, they think that if you beam up to the ship, you're going to die. Um, right. There's something on the planet that they believe helps you live forever. Um. They eventually realize that the human body develops antibodies for the disease within a few hours if they remain on the surface, and then they can be back to the ship. Um, this is a natural thing for the local Yanks and Coms, which is why they live so long. Like this, right, the captain is once again seeking a fountain of youth, a la insurrection. Um, finally, the Yanks realize that Kirk follows the same book as them. American, uh, Native American literature, the American Constitution, and the flag are eventually brought out. But mm-hmm. in order to decide who is right, he makes Kirk and Exeter's captain fight in a trial by combat. Makes Spock, perfect sense. I love it. Yes. Spock manages to um, gain the attention of one of the Yanks and trick her into giving back his communicator and beam down three security dudes. And they take control of the situation. Finally, Kirk, in one of his most bombastic and amazing speeches. So good. That's why I like it so much. It's one, it's yes, one of my it's favorites. One of, it's one of Kirk's best speeches. He tells the Yangs that their constitution is for everyone, including the comms, and they need to try to live peacefully. Right, right, right. I love it. Like I said, it's very... Obviously, this is uh, another example of what we see in the episode Muri, uh, what we see in the episode Bread and Circuses, which was in our last segment, is that we have a a world that, you know, uh, with Hodgkin's theory of parallel planetary development or whatever it is, which was the, you know, TOS explanation of why they were 
basically in these different all you know alternate earths where oh this one thing went wrong and it was just like earth up until the time that this thing happened so this was the same thing they had the us of a but then there was a huge war and biological whatever it is and humanity was was reduced to you know basically the cavemen level of technology and and communication and whatever it is and i think um Spock refers to the, you know, quite inappropriately of those of Asian heritage as the Asiatics, uh, which is not something you'd say anymore. Uh, but this was the 60s. Um, but anyway, yeah, great allegory to the fact that, you know, um, it's, it, it, it is a once again a great lens of looking at what we hold of value and how it can be uh, perverted without understanding which mm-hmm. tends to happen in the modern day as well. So the constitution, the constitution as it were. One of my favorites. I love it. it it's a good episode. Bad. All right. And speaking of my favorites, I really love this next one because this is one of the episodes, probably the episode that had the most, that benefited the most from the 40th anniversary complete remastery of the original series where we oh, they yeah. took a lot of these special effects, uh, especially any of the externals of the ship and completely uh, replaced them. So this was the ultimate computer episode 24 of the uh, season. Uh, John Meredith Lucas is the director story by Lawrence and Wolf teleplayed by the fantastic DC Fontana aired on March 8th of 1968. Uh, a new computer system wreaks havoc when being tested aboard the enterprise. The crew is deboarded onto a starbase, and the new M five multitronic system is installed to test uh, if it can control the Enterprise and manage operations aboard. Uh, its builder, uh, Dr. Richard Daystrom, of what, of course, later the Daystrom Institute. So he's the mm-hmm. he's the top guy in computer everything for all history in Star Trek. Uh, he has brought it, uh, you know, he comes along with the unit so he can care for it. Uh, everything is pretty much going as normal until, you know, they run it, they, they do a mission and, you know... Uh, M5 says, well, you know, I want these people to go, but Kirk picks this and that. And he said, oh, Kirk, you know, Kirk's not essential. That was a big slap in the face. And, and, and you know, a little bit of social commentary on how automation changes the workforce and stuff. And they were like, well, they'll never replace a captain in his intuition and burr, burr, burr. Uh, and, you know, of course, uh, Dr. Daystrom is really kind of an arrogant jerkwad. He just can't, his ego can't handle that anybody would disagree with him about how great M5 is. So, um <laughs> M5 uh, starts taking some liberties and turning off systems and doing things a little bit different. Uh, They try to shut it off, and who gets vaporized? A red shirt. (laughs) Ouch. And even then, Daystrom's like, well, you know, uh, the thing is, you know, it's like Daystrom just really can't. Yeah, Daystrom can't handle, you know, his ego is so fragile, he's just kind of losing his shit. And that's before we've even gotten in to the meat of the episode, which is the war games. We have four four beautiful Constitution-class ships, led by Commodore Wesley, uh, that uh, are uh, subsequently attacked and and almost nearly destroyed uh, by the M5. Completely destroyed. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's dead. Exactly. So yeah, they're, they're reeling up and beautiful, beautiful shots and, and opticals in this. And just really, uh, to me, you know, my, my biggest issue with anything that old is that, you know, it, you can see the model kit swinging back and forth uh, in the old episode. You can see the wires. One ship gets shot and it goes, or at least that's how I picture it. But um, in the end, my number one favorite uh, TNG trope uh, executed by Kirk is when he talks a computer to death. And that's exactly what he does. With the M5, uh, M5 uh, realizing it has to take responsibility for the deaths of all of the Starfleet people, decides to deactivate itself so the Enterprise can be destroyed. Uh, Kirk is able to get a message out at the last minute 
so that Commodore Wesley does not, in fact, do that. So I liked it. Again, I liked social commentary uh, based around the fact that, um, you know, the the little guy loses his job to a computer, which happens every day in the real world. But of course, in this case, uh, and because it's science fiction, the computer is crazy. <laughs> so that's that's what we get out of this. Well, it's it's one of the main reasons why, like in Discovery, Starfleet has prohibitions against integrating right? artificial intelligences into their systems because right and this particular right. episode right and that and you know and think about uh you know rondy moore's uh, Battlestar galactica it was the same thing with the cylons you know they mm-hmm. they invite they invade computer systems which led to the wipeout of the 12 colonies except the Battlestar galactica which was an old ship that was not networked and that's why they lived so which is, which is actually one of the things that i've really i really like about the old about the new Battlestar. yeah and I've actually I, applied that reasoning to some of the uh, to some of how Star Trek operates to try yeah. to explain certain things, especially some of the the visual tech differences, gotcha. especially between Enterprise and TOS. But you get we'll it. get there. All right, when Enterprise happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, here, jump into this next one. I'll let you read this, but this was this was when I actually wrote some fan fiction around one of the one of the few episodes I I, I tried to continue the story in kind of an original fashion. But you go ahead. Episode twenty five. Episode twenty five. Bread and circuses, directed by Ralph Sinensky, written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene L. Kuhn. Aired on March 15th, 1968. Captain Kirk and his companions are forced to fight in gladiatorial games. Well, eventually. On a planet modeled after the Roman Empire. In what is described as a unconventional episode. Which makes it so much more enjoyable. Right. Uh, the, the trio. Or, yeah, beam down to a planet to see and understand why a planet lives like a Roman Empire where slaves are subjected to fight gladiatorial wars. They ask refugee people who have escaped this empire to help them get into it, where they can meet a former captain of the, of a starship. Ah, no, of the, of the space service, not a starship. As, as he points out, he's not Starfleet. Yes. Um, one thing leads to another, and all three of them are captured. Spock and Bones are forced to fight, and later all three of them are subject to the death penalty. Things take a turn, and Kirk, Spock, and Bones manage to get beamed back to the ship. Big, big surprise. Yes, I I absolutely love this. And again, it's funny, I mentioned it, talked about the previous episode with not thinking about the fact that I made reference to this episode in the previous description. But yeah, it was the same thing. We had uh, Earth, uh, you know, a parallel to Earth in every way, but uh, the Roman Empire never fell. So the Roman Empire culture continued and and dominated the entire planet. Um, But, you know, we come along uh, to them. They have modern technology, which is the 1960s. So they have, you know, TV gladiatorial bouts and they have, you know, uh, they have automobiles and they have, you know, the the beginnings of of space travel and rockets and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I absolutely love, I absolutely love this episode. You know what? I'm such an idiot. When I, uh, the, the bit about Spock, Spock and McCoy, I was talking about that happened in this episode, not the episode I was talking about. Shame on me. Um, because they're trying to, because they're worried about Kirk because he got, he gets separated. And as the, um, uh, pro council is trying to, uh, convince him to, you know, Hey, do things our way and blah, blah, blah. And Kirk's like, bite me. Um, so yeah, this was, uh, yeah. And in the end, the, um, like you said, the, uh, the disgraced, um, Ship captain uh, tries to uh, tries to right his wrongs, and he gets you know 
he gets stabbed for it. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I did, I did actually, when I was a teenager, write a little follow up to this. I had a, an original crew uh, set in the in the the TOS movie era. So, you know, twenty years after this was set, uh, on a, you know, because I love that ship so much, it was set on that ship, and I don't remember all the details, but it was about it was taking place a mission taking place on this world after they, you know let go of the Roman culture or whatever. And so I, I don't even remember the hmm. details of what my story was, but anyway, I'd like this episode that much. I just thought it was super cool. And I, I, I did, that's one of the things I did. I do love about TOS was the, you know, the, the what if aspect of it. Like, you know, one of the very earliest episodes was Muri where, you know, it was, what if there was a biological agent in the 20th century that, uh, made everybody immortal, but once they reached puberty, they died horribly, you know? So it's just like, what if da, 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 da. So I just, I like that. And it's not, it, it's not something that's been employed uh, by any other series, which is fine because it would be a tired trope if they did, you know what I mean? But well, um, normally they do alternate universes at this point, if they're going to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which again started here in season two with the episode mirror mirror. And they've really, they've really run with it with the mirror universe. So it could be running with it even, even more so in discovery with, uh, with Tarka and wherever the hell he says he's from, but you know what? He could be pulling a Mysterio from the Spider-Man films. He could be he just could making be it all that. up. It could be I a big, think, it could it be the like long con. He, it sounded like he said that he was from this universe, but wanted to get to another one where the Emerald Chain didn't exist or something. Oh, such right, right. What, which, yeah. And so I'm, I, I just, I don't trust him at all. So I, th- I think it's yeah. kind of a scam, but we're going to, we're going to find that out in February. Yeah. So, all right. Taking us home. Final episode, The Backdoor Pilot. This would be episode 26 of the season. I just heard a snort. <laughs> Backdoor pilot. Yeah, uh, this would yeah. be this would be assignment Earth, uh, directed assignment. by Mark Mark uh, Mark Daniels, uh, story by Gene Roddenberry and Art Wallace, teleplay by Art Wallace. So again, Gene Roddenberry. That's two episodes. He didn't write a a ton of the later episodes of the series, so it's it's, it's you know somewhat significant when he jumps in there. Uh, aired on March twenty nine of 1968. And again, Peter, you and I were talking about this earlier in the week. Uh, this employs one of the most nonsensical plot devices, which is summed up right in the sentence. During a historical research mission to 1968, eh, we don't do that. <laughs> Temporal Prime Directive, Department of Temporal Investigations, we don't do that shit. But uh, the Enterprise encounters Gary Seven, a human from the future, who appears to be attempting to alter history. Uh, Enterprise is on a mission to observe Earth in 1968 when it, uh, when uh, Gary beams aboard, when it beams aboard a mysterious man named Gary Seven. I just said that. Why? Stupid. I gotta find better summaries. I feel so bad. I find this one, this one website and they just write them really backwards. I need to do my homework better. I'm gonna go through and rewrite these. As I'll, I'll make that commitment. Or I'll just do it on the fly. Who cares? Uh, Gary wants to go back to the planet's surface, but the Enterprise is unable to decide how to proceed, a.k.a. do we believe him or is he full of it? Uh, Seven tricks the guards and escapes and uh, down to New York City and Kirk and Spock follow him, giving my favorite incognito Spock look, which is that fuzzy brown hat. <laughs> I, I, and isn't he wearing a big fur coat too? I think so. <laughs> like, pull up an image Spock of it. goes undercover, it, like, it's, you it's either so have bad. like, oh, okay, or what? No. <laughs> Like Spock in, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek four with the, um, you know, with the, uh, when he wraps that around his ear. So he looks like, you know, ninja guy. But anyway, um, so uh, history suggested on this day, a crucial spacecraft 
launch uh, failed in the U.S. and changed course of history. Uh, but uh, Kirk and Spock failed to recognize that Seven is trying to help events instead of hurt them. Uh, somewhere along the way, Terry Gar is in this as well. Um, using his secret portal, Seven is able to reach the launch site and install the device that will fail the mission. And Enterprise can safely return to present time. Uh, and this was, as we had mentioned, a proposed backdoor pilot to Gary Seven having his own show, which they're like, well, we read ahead on you, Mr. Seven. You you do a bunch of stuff, but we're not here to talk about that. It was it's <laughs> it was, a very strange thing. It was it was it was a weird episode. And again, it it did have more of a feeling of kind of a season finale. It was like, okay, there's something significant happening. And even though, you know, uh, you know, TOS episodes don't have that kind of connectivity. This really felt like, oh, they're trying to set something up and, you know, that yeah. they're going to break or whatever. So I, I don't know. It's a weird episode. Terry Gar is Terry Gar is very weird. I get very much a laugh-in vibe from this, which is a show she was on at the time. Um, it's just a weird episode, I it would is. say. The, yeah. There is actually a, um, not a follow-up per se, but a continuation. Of oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, yeah. By John Byrne, who is one of my absolute favorite comic book creators. Uh, there was a series in the early 2000s. Um, there was a miniseries that followed, you know, in increments of years like this is a year later. This is five years later, whatever it is. I love it. I've read it several times. Yeah, no, I'm actually talking about something else. Oh, oh, please. By all means. Yeah. This is not canon in any way. Uh, it's a, it's well, I, and, and neither and, and neither is, yeah. is the same neither is anything in the comics. I mentioned last time with the bluegill. Um, oh, okay, okay. Excelsior. There is an episode that, that came out a year and a half ago um, called "Nurturing Life," and they have someone acting as an agent on another planet. And so you hear all the goofy sound effects, all the references to the to the computer, and yeah. So like this has spawned a few spinoffs, but they're all kind of like tangentially related and have another Star Trek story going on. Gotcha. Okay. So it's Um, kind of a weird one, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun episode, but a weird one all in the same. And again, you know, it employs a a trope in Star Trek uh, that is never referred to again as, well, we just went back using the slingshot effect. We just went back in time. Like, you know, you know, like it ain't no thing. And it's, it's very much a thing. Uh, So they, they kind of outlaw that for obvious reasons. So, all right. Well, in conclusion, this is the end of season two of uh, Star Trek, the original series. Uh, Peter, on a scale of one to 10, if you were to balance the season as a whole, what numerical value? One to 10 uh, Romulan ears, what will you give it? I think this one might be an 8.5. Yes, I agree. Definitely more, uh, more good than bad. I would probably bet with like a 7.5 because while there are some really great episodes some of the ones that really didn't work just really kind of dragged that down for me but th- this did give us again some of my favorites i love bread and circuses uh, i love yes. the omega glory obviously we had in earlier parlance we had mirror mirror uh and we had uh a mock time so we just had some of the really most yeah, we had some of the most really memorable episodes of tos yeah but um and we also get cat's paw and exactly um, but by the time you circle back again and we're talking about season three of TOS, which is going to be quite a way, uh, ways down the road, um, that, that's going to be a hard couple of months for you and me. I'm going to admit we're not going to have a good time because uh, it, Spock's brain. starting with Spock's brain, the undisputed worst episode of the series. So anyway, um, well, that's it, Peter. And if you would be so kind, 
uh, I will. I will first of all say thank you for joining me on this journey. This was uh, this was a new endeavor after we restructured the show. You and I kind of came up with this format together. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, letting Katie kind of step in and and also be a voice on this while she she uh, takes your spot for the next uh, couple of months. Um, yeah. But yeah, you've been great. I've I've loved working with you, and I, I look forward to having you back uh, when we jump into doing. Um, are you with me for Enterprise next? I've got it on the schedule. I, anyway, I'm on for Deep Space Nine, and you're on for Deep Space Nine. Yes, I'm and one we, of those yeah. guys that likes Enterprise. I was a late uh, I love, so yeah, we'll do. Yeah, Katie, uh, just for housekeeping, Katie will be on uh, as I had mentioned for season two of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then Peter will return for season two of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and then we're gonna we'll kind of rotate back and forth. So, um, yeah, Peter, with that, thank you again, and please take us out. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey and or Region 13 on Facebook. Oh, but we don't have a name for the episode. Oh, we don't have a name for the episode. Mm. Assignment podcast. (laughs) Terry Garr is there for some reason. There, that's the name of it. Okay. Uh, Friends, with that, I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. Code 47 is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for our great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to be part of the conversation, Visit our new Discord server, or join us on Facebook, or follow us at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends on YouTube, and don't forget to visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.